Hello, my name is Trevor Mokel and welcome to the Mendocino County COVID-19 update. Today, we are pleased to be joined by Mendocino County Health Officer, Dr. Andy Corrin, who will give us an update on the COVID-19 status of our county. After that, we'll open up to take a few questions from the media concerning the COVID-19 incident. If time allows, we also take questions from the public. If you're a member of the public, please leave your comments below this video and we'll do our best to address them. Now, beginning with the health update, Dr. Corrin, you have our attention. Thank you, Trevor. Um, just to start off, the surge is definitely continuing and increasing. Last week, we had an average daily case rate of 51 cases per 100,000 per day. Let's see, uh, Sarah's uh, that first slide. Um, so this shows that uh, in Northern California uh, and certainly in Mendocino County, the, the shape of the curves and um, that uh, what you can see is the dark green line are those people who are fully vaccinated. And of course, uh, this, wait a second, I think we have it wrong. No, no, those are the unvaccinated, very high uh, up to the 55 and it's coming down a little bit. Those last few days, maybe uh, the statistics are not as reliable because we get more cases, uh, results coming in all the time. At the very bottom, you can see those people who are fully vaccinated, and the difference between them is very, very significant, um, showing the efficacy of the vaccines against uh, regular infections. Um, and the next slide, please, shows uh, all of Northern California uh, is affected adversely by this surge, um, and uh, we are we have the worst case rates in the state. Uh, uh, in our neighboring Humboldt and Lake County, uh, they have been surging and probably before us seem to be coming down. It's a little too early to say whether, uh, whether that's significant or not, but clearly we in the, in the uh, purple are going up. And again, in this yellow area, the data is a little less reliable because it's just coming in and more may be added. Um, uh, I'd like to show you all the next slide, which shows the difference uh, between people who are vaccinated and people who have, uh, or I'm sorry, it'll, it'll show you the numbers uh, of hospitalizations and, uh, and also uh, those in the ICU and how they compare to the other surges before us. So you can see these red lines are the numbers of people who are hospitalized and uh, we're up to the range of 31, 32 today, uh, and the ICU case, and that is much higher than it was back in uh, January and February and December. Uh, and our ICU rate is also uh, around 10. Uh, last night we had um, eight in our ICUs and another couple out of town, uh, but these are clearly far above what they were back in uh, January. So. Uh, this is significantly worse, and uh, as a result of this, our ICU availability has decreased to about 12.5%. Uh, Adventist Health has been able to get more nursing staff. We've been working with them and MOAC uh, and private registries to do that, and uh, we are working uh, together to be sure that patients, uh, when it's necessary, can be transferred appropriately if needed while maintaining the highest quality of care here in Mendocino County. Um, Trevor, did we have anyone from Adventist Health join us? Did you send out the invitations to them? At this point, we don't have anyone from Adventist on the line, but um, they may join us later on in the call. 
Okay. All righty. Uh, let me just summarize it today. I was notified by Chief Nursing um, um, uh, or, uh, Officer Linda Gibbons um, and that um, Howard Memorial Hospital and Adventist Health Ukiah Valley have informed the state that they have been severely restricted in their capacity at, at those two hospitals. And so they qualify for state assistance for transfers if needed. And these would go out of county to EMS region two hospitals. Remember, as I said before, over 95% of the hospitalized cases are unvaccinated. Uh, these people who have put themselves at risk are also now putting uh, the county at risk because it's going to be hard for us to find uh, beds for, um, and it won't be COVID, it'll be people who have heart attacks or cancers or other kinds of things, but we will uh, move people uh, to safe places to give them the care that they need. Um, the numbers of people in the hospital who are unvaccinated are 12 times the number of people who are vaccinated. This is according to state statistics. We have also seen a lot more mortality in the last week since uh, I spoke to this group. Uh, we've had our 55th, 56th, and 57th death last week. The most recent was last night. All were unvaccinated. One was as young as 49 years old. All of the ones who are coming into the hospital are also younger people and have uh, less comorbidities. Hospital uh, and deaths are nearly all among the unvaccinated. We have some small controlled outbreaks in the county. One is in the county jail, which is being tightly managed. We have four other cases, not outbreaks, but cases in high risk situations that we're closely following, mostly in retail and restaurant, but also uh, two cases were uncovered associated with healthcare facilities. Again, none of these are outbreaks. On our first day of school, uh, we had an increased level of testing and it exposed three schools with some active cases. And that's out of 53 in the county. So I consider it a good thing that these were caught and all isolated to protect the others. Um, plus follow-up surveillance testing is now um, uh, in, uh, encompassing all of the other uh, people in those classrooms. Can we have slide uh, the next slide please on vaccines? So the vaccine interest and in vaccinations have definitely picked up uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. As of August 20th, uh, we've distributed 98,088 doses in the county. Uh, that is 63.4% of those people who are eligible are fully vaccinated uh, and 55.4% of the total population are fully vaccinated. 73.9% uh, of the eligible population have had at least one dose. From an equity perspective, we exceed the state among the lowest resource communities and in the Hispanic population. 82% of the quartile one people are at least partially vaccinated compared to the state of 76%. Um, although in quartile two, 70%, uh, which was higher than the state's average, has fallen behind the state, which is at 72% at least partially vaccinated. And when we look at our Hispanic uh, community, 59% are at least partially vaccinated compared to the state, which has 55% at least partially vaccinated. Um, but this is also in comparison to our county's non-Hispanic white population, which is 68%. Uh, and that is equivalent to what it is in California, but the Hispanic population 
uh, has not caught up uh, for complete equality and equity. Age groups that are not keeping up with the state average are those who are 12 to 17 years old uh, with only 34%. And even though they are just beginning their vaccines a few months ago, uh, within the state, the state has been able to achieve a 44% vaccination rate, and that's fully vaccinated. And among the um, 18 to 40, only 54% of Mendocino uh, uh, people are fully vaccinated versus California's 62%. So I believe we're seeing an uptick because more people are seeing how safe and effective the vaccines are, and also how dangerous this Delta surge uh, is, uh, is becoming, and they're beginning to get more vaccinated. Uh, next slide, please. I wanna just show that the amount of protection, there's always a lot of question, is it still protecting us? And on this slide, you'll see um, on the left, in terms of disease incidence, the green bar shows, and, and this is a larger group than just Mendocino County because the data is much more uh, reliable. There's an eight-fold reduction in cases among people who are vaccinated. When we look at severe infection, those people who are hospitalized, um, 25 times more are hospitalized who have no vaccine than those people who've had been vaccinated. And when we look at deaths, it's also a 25-fold reduction for people who have been vaccinated in comparison to those who have not been vaccinated. Um, this week, uh, there has been a lot more interest in um, third doses for people who are um, who have other uh, uh, diseases that may decrease their ability to develop an immune response to the vaccines. And the CDC had two uh, journal articles that they published in MMWR, which is their journal, and two show sustained efficacy against hospitalizations over six months but this was before the Delta, and it included groups at risk for severe COVID. Another study shows a decrease in efficacy in case prevention in skilled nursing facilities over time, and the time was including Delta. So it's a little bit difficult to sort which is due to time and which is due to the uh, more contagiousness and virulence of, uh, of the Delta variant. But it did go down from 74% to 53%. Um, so this is something that we're watching. We're looking at more and more data. Uh, so we know that certain groups do not respond as well to developing immunity, and that's for all vaccines and all illnesses. And for these immune-compromised people who make up 3% of the population, third doses are now recommended to complete what we're calling their primary series. So for these immune-compromised people, three doses is uh, part of their primary series. And so we're calling it the third dose and not for referring to it as a booster. These people include those with solid organ transplants, stem cell transplants, various kinds of cancers, primary immune deficiency diseases, and severe or untreated HIV. And those who are on uh, moderate to high doses of immune suppressive medications usually for cancer chemotherapy, but also for some severe rheumatological diseases. Deciding this requires some clinical judgment. So we are recommending that providers contact their patients who have these conditions, or that patients contact their providers and get the extra dose vaccine from the provider, or get a note since that personal 
because the personnel at the vaccine clinics really can't make these clinical decisions. Um, and this is all uh, encapsulated on our website now. Boosters is another story. So boosters is when people have had their complete uh, um, vaccine series, but extra doses are given for waning immunity. And there's mixed evidence for this. It's very hard to distinguish the effect of time versus the, the increase due to the Delta variant taking over. We do not have a new vaccine that covers the Delta variant yet. The president has said that these will be available next month. There'll be more to come on this as research comes in. Uh, understand that this is not an emergency. The uh, immunity, even if it's proven, does not wane instantaneously. Uh, and so we'll roll out those vaccines as we possibly can. And it is a concern among uh, health officers uh, that rolling out booster doses, uh, if it's not really necessary, may uh, uh, take uh, some administrative time, some, some uh, abilities to administer the vaccines to those people who have not been vaccinated at all, in particular, uh, the young people in our community. So there will be more on this. But I will say, for those of you who have not been vaccinated, please take the shot for you yourself, your family, and our community. Besides the vaccines, for everyone, I want you to remember the following advice. If you have symptoms, please stay home and get a test. Whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, you may be carrying the virus, you may be sick. Symptoms is a very important uh, sign of potentially having COVID, and you don't want to uh, pass that on to either your coworkers or your clients, let alone your people, your family. If the test is positive, you need to isolate. Cooperate with our contact investigation, contact tracing team for advice and for housing and food assistance if it's needed. All of the information that we collect is completely confidential. It won't get to your boss. It won't get to other people. It won't get to people who you may have had contact with but it will help you and it'll help us help others. If you know you've had a close contact, and that is within six feet of a positive case for over 15 minutes during a whole day, if you're unvaccinated, quarantine for 10 days. And if you are immune compromised or you're around frail family members, for example, or compromised people, you may extend it to 14 days. And you can talk that through with your provider or give our, uh, our call center a call for more advice. For fully vaccinated people who have been exposed and had close contact, you do not have to quarantine, but you too should be very careful around elders and immune compromised people, mask, and that means using a medical or even double masking and keep your distances. And the new advice is to test at three to five days to see if you have become infected, in which case we would want to, you to isolate to protect others. <clears throat> I'm going to move on now to schools and school sports, which are just starting this week. Our schools have started to open this week to full in-person instruction. This is great news for the kids and their families and the school staff. In the COVID age, we've learned a lot about the unintended consequences of school and frequent classroom closures, uh, and those consequences affect health, education, social and developmental advancement and economic issues. And we've learned from that are trying to move forward more safely. So most of the school staff, my, you know, a, a large margin, have already been vaccinated. 
and we're taking every effort to vaccinate the children over 12 years for whom uh, there is a vaccine that has authorization. Uh, and we're hoping for an authorized vaccine to be out for the rest of the school kids uh, in the next one to two months. There will be regular weekly screening testing for, for the staff and some of the children, especially those involved in contact sports, which are higher risk. Everyone who is not exempt will be masking indoors and more adaptations have been made by the schools to increase ventilation inside while scheduling more activities outdoors to maximize ventilation there. Although during these smoky days, that's a bit problematic. So we, we want to be sure that people are masking indoors and that the ventilation indoors uh, is at its peak. There will be strict monitoring of students and staff upon entry and anyone who is symptomatic or tests positive on rapid tests will be excused from class. Uh, this uh, contact investigation, contact tracing starts at the schools. They work in close contact with the Department of Public Health team, and we ensure the most appropriate resolutions, hopefully not having to resort to closing classrooms or whole schools um, with the uh, new guidance that has been uh, researched and given to us by CDPH. CDPH has not yet released guidance for sports and other after-school activities. So in the interim, I have worked with the districts to develop recommendations for safe practices for games. These include encouraging vaccines, increasing testing, masking and distancing for all spectators, as well as the athletes, except while in play, and caution for the after-event and locker room interactions and contacts which are the highest risk that we've uh, that we've been able to document in the contacts we've uncovered in the cases we've uncovered. So as far as new orders, we have released the orders for fire, EMT, and first responders uh, to verify their vaccine status, or if they are exempt, uh, they would be um, they would be eligible for regular testing for those who are exempt. The hospital and healthcare workers are already under similar orders. Uh, and we are working on recommendations for all employers to adopt similar human resource policies for vaccine verification or testing. And Mendocino County is already working on this um, and, and making that so for our employees. But remember the non-pharmacologic interventions for this respiratory uh, illness. Wear masks indoors in public places. And my recommendation is outdoors in crowds except when you're eating or drinking and then put the masks right back on. Um, when you stay with your family uh, unit as much as possible and six feet between you and other people who may be from other uh, uh, family units. Increase the ventilation, which indoors means uh, open windows and doors and blow fans outside so fresh air gently comes in and set air conditioners to, fil uh, to filter, but minimize uh, recirculation. Uh, recirculation. Outdoors is very good, but enclosures that we had build up when the restaurants were closed um, may not be so good. So if there are adjacent walls, that creates a dead space and a high risk for transmission, almost as high as it would be indoors. Keep your distances whenever possible from non-household members. Uh, gatherings is a matter of individual choice at this point, but safe practices include avoiding large gatherings, keeping 15 feet of distance between you and people who are outside your household, 
Uh, outdoor is safer than indoor. Avoid eating and drinking. And if you're going to eat or drink, take the mask off just for eating and drinking and put it back on afterwards. And remember, good hand hygiene. So in summary, the COVID Delta surge continues. Uh, it is probably uh, worse at this point in Mendocino County than it was uh, in the winter. And it is nearly all among the unvaccinated. While people who are vaccinated may get ill, they almost never wind up in the hospital or passing away. Not only are there increased cases, but our hospitals are getting close to becoming overwhelmed. Uh, and again, nearly all with unvaccinated people, and that's threatening the care for everyone in the community. So please get vaccinated. They're safe, they're effective, now's the time. If you believe you may be immune compromised and should get a third dose, call your provider. If you have symptoms, stay at home, get tested, follow isolation and quarantine recommendations that are online uh, in a, on our website and cooperate with our contact investigation contact tracing team. These are very difficult times for many of us who are really hoping we'd be over this and we're not. We're happy to be able to open the schools with more safety precautions in place and we want to avoid closing down sectors of the economy, recreation or schools, but we all have to work together to achieve that. And I believe Mendocino can do this. With that, I'll stop and be ready for any questions. Thank you, Dr. Korn. First up is going to be Alicia Bales with KZUX and Z. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for the update, Dr. Corin. Uh, this definitely sounds like a dire situation for our hospitals. You said we're at 12.5% ICU availability and that Willits and Ukiah hospitals are severely impacted. Um, can you talk about, you said we're, we're coming up to a, um, uh, an overwhelmed situation with the hospitals. What does this mean for Mendocino County? And what, uh, if we do, it looks like the numbers are continuing to rise of hospitalizations. What uh, what's the plan if we do get to, what does it look like if the hospitals are overwhelmed and what's the plan to get through it? So one thing I would say is to remember, we're actually very lucky to have three Adventist hospitals in our county. And between them, they've been able to, you know, shuffle staff and uh, shuffle patients around to make sure that people get in when they need to get in and get the highest quality of care. That's the first thing. But if it's really impossible to do that, uh, then having done the notification that went out today, uh, we will be uh, able to transfer our patients to other hospitals out of county within our region to EMS area uh, and get them placed. And if we have patients that are uh, uh, higher than we can handle in terms of their acuity and the specialists we have in town, uh, we would have um, um, relatively easy access to transportation and placing them. There are rules for those who continue to have uh, um, uh, access, accessible ICUs or, or hospital beds, and they have to admit our patients. So it's not the most convenient if you have to travel outside to see your family uh, member, uh, but we wanna make sure that the highest quality of care is available. And that's what this notification uh, achieves for us. To follow up on that, are uh, people non-COVID patients being moved out of the area just for treatment as they're trying to get into the ER or, or to access other hospital services? If they needed to and we don't have service, yes. All right. So I've heard about something called the monoclonal antibody infusion. Um, and this is supposed to be something that people can get when they first are diagnosed if they're unvaccinated that might be able to keep them 
from having to get hospitalized. Can you talk about whether or not that is available in Mendocino and whether you think that's something you would recommend to people? Yeah, so the monoclonal antibodies are used routinely in the hospital for people who are very sick and has proven to be very effective. Uh, it's one of the few treatments that has been. So you've heard of remdesivir and that's an infusion and uh, the, the hospitalist can make a decision whether it's appropriate. But usually if people are, um, are in the hospital and they're very sick, there are certain uh, criteria that they go through and they can get an infusion of remdesivir. It has been available at, on the outpatient, not remdesivir, but other monoclonal antibodies have been available on an outpatient basis since uh, the spring, um, but they were minimally effective. The, the proof was that they were not very effective and it took a long time to, um, to put together an infusion, give it to people, and then wait around and make sure that they didn't have any side effects. Well, the, uh, the first few that came out were actually taken off the California market because the uh, UK variant and now the Delta variant is really resistant to the ones that were available. However, now there is a, a, another um, um, monoclonal antibody uh, called Recom, uh, Recom, sorry, Regen Cove. Um, and, uh, and that is not only available as an infusion in the emergency room, but also available as an injection, a subcutaneous injection. The problem with giving uh, the uh, uh, monoclonal antibodies in the emergency room is that it, it uh, takes a while, takes a long time, and um, it ties up emergency room beds, which we're very short of. I mean, there's a lot of backing up of the emergency room in the last week or so. And so the, uh, the emergency room uh, has not generally ordered it, uh, but we've discussed it again for this, um, the newer one, which can be given as an injection, and that would go much faster than infusion, which takes several hours. And so the hospitals um, ha are considering it. And today I also uh, raise that as a possibility for the clinics to consider because it could be, and it is in many uh, communities, an outpatient treatment. And you know, it takes a little bit more time. Um, the, uh, the reimbursement is not as clear, um, but we think that that may help us through uh, the worst part of this epidemic. So I'm, I'm uh, encouraging the clinicians uh, to, to use this as much as possible. Thank you. Next up is Jackie Orozco with Periodica El Punto. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, um, I'm going to say my question first in Spanish and then uh, in English. Um, Dr. Coren, ahora que el Departamento de Salud Pública del Condado de Mendocino está haciendo público los nombres de los negocios en donde ha habido casos positivos. ¿Ustedes tienen algún protocolo de seguimiento para asegurar que estos lugares sean seguros para la comunidad? Uh, now that the Mendocino County Public Health Department is making public the names of the businesses where there are COVID positive cases, is the department doing a follow-up or have a protocol to assure these places are safe for our community members? That's a great, uh, great question. So um, for one thing, um, we believe most of our businesses are keeping themselves safe. There are exceptions, but uh, we're trying to make sure that if those are called in, we, we uh, talk it over, educate those business owners 
and try and make it as safe as possible for our county. We don't put press releases out uh, to um, uh, impugn the ability of the, uh, of the owners, uh, but rather when we find that someone who has been positive and was in contact with the public and the owner and manager, and usually the owners and managers are very cooperative when they find this out, but the owner and manager really can't help us completely get the word out to people who may be close contacts of that employee. And so those are the conditions that we put out a press releases to notify the community. Let's say if you were in such and such a place uh, between August 7th and August 9th, you may have been exposed, please get tested. So that's one of the ways that we help protect the community against inadvertent uh, transmission of the disease from a business such as a retail store or restaurant or a bar. Um, we do have orders uh, for, uh, for the uh, businesses to comply with. And one of the important ones uh, exists now is the mandatory indoor masking. And there are signs that should be posted. Uh, this is no longer a, uh, a choice, it is a mandatory. Uh, we are also releasing an order in the next uh, week um, that will encourage employers to develop uh, human resource policies that require verification of vaccination or regular testing of their employees. And I know that uh, within Mendocino County, there are many store owners and businesses uh, lodging over on the coast and so on who are interested in getting this going. And it's a matter of how can they, you know, do the verification and then what testing is available. And we've, uh, we're, we're working with them to help them do that. Thank you. Uh, my other question is about uh, uh, ¿Qué medidas debe de tomar la gente para protegerse del humo de los incendios forestales ahora durante esta pandemia del COVID? What can people do to protect themselves from the smoke caused by the wildfires during the COVID, COVID pandemic? Well, we want people to protect themselves against the smoke too because that's a, that's a big irritant and uh, masks does help that, especially uh, the higher quality masks can filter some of the larger dust particles out. And so masking is good, uh, though it's not 100% effective. Uh, it's good to help filter out some of those irritating particles. Uh, in general, when the tissues in the throat are irritated, it's easier for germs to invade. So it's good to protect yourself against the smoke. We don't know whether the, um, whether the, the Delta virus will uh, will cause more disease in light of the smoke. We don't know that yet. Uh, so it's just a presumption that when the tissues are irritated, they could uh, be uh, more likely to, uh, to get infected. So my recommendation is to use a mask. If you're outdoors, use a mask. If you're indoors, um, use uh, filtered air as much as you can. For example, with the air conditioner um, and, um, and ventilation is gonna fall by the wayside uh, to protect against the COVID as much, but people can wear masks indoors as well, especially if they're around uh, frail or um, or immune compromised people. Gracias, doctor. Thank you. Next up is Kate Maxwell with Mendocino Voice. Hi, thanks for having this. Um, before I ask my question, 
question if it would be possible to get the slideshows afterwards i know that's happened a few times in the past uh, but it would be great to be able to share those um, if possible so work on that okay yeah i know people can watch the video but um sometimes it moves pretty quick or you have to freeze it or, or something so sure. it's nice to have those also um so i wanted to ask um just sort of a follow-up from last week and kind of in light of what's going on with the hospitals if the county or you know if public health or other departments in the county are now also experiencing certain kinds of strain and as we you know are getting deeper into wildfire season are there any kinds of considerations that the county or public health are making on sort of the resource or staffing level um, to address you know larger fires or situations that might come up in an emergency with the ongoing search well i can certainly answer you that the people are stressed they've been dealing with this pandemic for 18 months and now uh the smoke and uh, fires are are a concern and we're you know prepared to set up shelters if we need to that takes a lot of people and so the departments are pulling their resources together uh during the spring uh when we thought that we were over covid our cict team uh uh not only um was cut back by the state workers we had a lot of state workers and local volunteers drew back and we thought we were doing fine until this surge really picked up and so now what we've done is we're uh, getting more people in from the county to work uh, to work extra hours uh, we're getting more volunteers through organizations like nco and we are also uh, getting some more through the state resources uh, the state is has less resources now than they did let's say in February, March, April, uh, but I think they're realizing the necessity and hopefully they'll open up and have more resources. So yes, we are reaching out for a lot more resources because we don't know when this will end. Um, and we have a lot of things going on with the drought and the fires, as you mentioned, um, that are you know that are equally as important and, and immediate for those people who are, who are right there. Okay, thanks for explaining that a little bit further. Um, so we've gotten sort of a lot of questions about schools, and I know that's really sort of the purview of, of individual districts according to you know local and state guidelines in certain ways. Um, but I was hoping you could maybe just give sort of an overall, a little bit more detail about um, what will happen when uh, students or staff test positive and sort of what the current plans look like about, um, you know, what families should know moving forward into the school year about what that's going to look like. And if there's any consideration of at what point, you know, stricter protocols might be put into place, how, you know, how that's being decided. That's a great question. So first of all, I, I went through people have been vaccinated. We want more people to get vaccinated. Uh, we're doing a lot more testing. And one of the things that is very important is that uh, families sign the permission slips so that their children can be tested as well. That protects not only them and their families, but it also protects the rest of the school and the school district 
uh, the testing is a very, very important, uh, important way that we can early detect an infection and uh, wall it off from the rest of the class and the school and the community. When people do test positive, or if they have symptoms, they're excused from school. And then uh, uh, the school does do more contact investigation tracing, they do testing, uh, people go to their clinics or to our county sites to get testing. And based on the testing, they may uh, just need to complete a um, uh, quarantine or a, uh, or a um, isolation period. And uh, there is new testing guidance for people on quarantine and for within the schools. Uh, we're trying not to release the entire class if someone develops a positive test. So there is a um, there's another way that we're quarantining people, uh, but to keep the, the children in class because they if they are completely masked and, and it's an observed supervised environment, we think the transmission rate will be a lot less than uh, the close contacts that people may have in the community. So those things are, are going off and we're evaluating it not only on a county level, but on a state level to see how we're doing. And uh, as I said, we're, you know, you can look at the several cases that showed up positive on the first day of school as a, uh, as a, oh my gosh, or you'd say, hey, we caught them. That's a pretty good thing. And so at this point, you know, I'm not making a judgment that it's good, but I'm saying that uh, we have some, some um, uh, protocols in place that were based on the learning we did from last year. And remember that what we learned last year was that there was terrible unintended consequences for the children and their families and their schools for shutting down. And uh, we really want to try and keep them open as much as we can this year. Um, just one quick follow-up to that. Are there um, any sort of public reporting protocols around, you know, will uh, is everyone else in the school notified? Will that will information about school cases be made public? Uh, school cases we find out about, and um, and we you know and we work with the school uh, contact investigation and contact tracing teams very closely. So we you know we help them mitigate the issue. Um, the uh, the first part of your question was also what happens in terms of notification of other children and their families when somebody is positive in the class? Yes, they're very clear um, uh, protocols that the schools have developed uh, to notify uh, people who may have been close contacts uh, or, you know, any other irregularities and they and they keep them informed of what they should be doing, what's happening. Oh, I guess more, can we be expecting county press releases, you know, in the way that there's been a case at a specific business? Um, is there anything equivalent like that that we should expect for school cases? You know, we, we only do those press releases for businesses when we think that there's no other way to notify the people who may have been exposed. So again, it's a business in a situation where there's, let's say, a cashier or a server, um, who is in contact with the public and they found out that they were positive and they were infectious several days before they were taken out of the work environment. And we don't know how many people or who the people were who passed their check register or sat something like that. And then we wanna let the, the community know that they're at risk, please get, get tested. In the schools, we know who's in the schools. The schools have done a fantastic job 
to create their own uh, lists. Of course, they have attendance lists, but they're much more sophisticated now. And so if something like that happens, we don't necessarily need to do a, or they don't need to do a press release about uh, each person who was, or each class that was affected. And, you know, there is, there is another consideration and that is of privacy. And there's a consideration of uh, stigmatization. We don't want the, the kids to go through. And so there's some, there's some reservation and there'd be some thinking about that. But I think if there was a large, you know, outbreak that affected the community, then I think you could expect to be to be uh, informed. Okay, great. Thanks for clarifying that. Mm -hmm. Next up is going to be Danola Sands with Mendocino Action News. Hello, thanks for having this meeting. I just wanted to add on to what Kate said for the last couple of weeks. Mendocino Action News has been asking for a copy of those slides and we've been promised them. I believe they will be valuable to the public. So if we can at least have them on your guys's page. That would be helpful if not sent to us. Yeah, and Trevor then, could send those out. He's he's got them right now. They're gonna. I just emailed them to Trevor. So Trevor, if you could just make sure that everybody on the call gets a copy, that'd be great. Understood. Thank you. And then for my question, and kind of to add on as well as Kate from Into Voice, and um, I don't know if it was brought up, but some people do listen to this on the radio and they've asked that we introduce ourselves when we're talking. So I'm gonna to try to, to get in a good habit of that. My name is Danielle Sands with Mendocino Action News. And my question also is on school. So um, considering that schools are reopening this week and there's wildfire, smoke and hotter days, many kids are eating their meals inside the classroom without masks and at full capacity with no social distancing. I heard you state um, during the first few days there's three schools were exposed with active cases. And I also recall you last week mentioning um, that summer compared to winter with the general public staying inside due to heat and smoke that you've started to see a lot more cases and that could be connected. Um, this seems to be concerning to some parents. Is there any way that we, I know that you said you don't wanna publicize um, a school specifically, but is there a way that the health officers and the county could state how many school cases that we've had? Because we haven't really had a clear number in the last year of how many kids um, have tested positive in Mendocino County at schools. Is there a way that we can get that going forward now that schools are reopening? Yeah, um, you know, the numbers of schools that are affected, we actually have, um, we have put that out. In fact, today I said that there were, I think there were three schools uh, that were affected and I think there were four cases. Um, we have no problems in, in, terms of, in terms of putting some of that out. The numbers of cases were really quite small in the last, uh, in the last year and in the last two months they've increased and that really seems to be due to the, the, del the Delta variant. So yeah, I think we will we'll continue to keep you informed about um, the impact on schools. Thank you. Another question that our members have had is there's a lot of testing going around for uh, unvaccinated individuals and probably a quarter of that for those that are vaccinated. Why are we not testing the vaccinated as much as the unvaccinated if we do know that vaccinated can get COVID-19? I mean, um, 
some of the schools are doing vaccinated, unvaccinated, and some are just doing the vaccinated. I'm sorry, the unvaccinated, because the risk is significantly higher, much higher uh, among the unvaccinated. On the other hand, we're doing it with the children. We're generally doing it for both groups because we don't want to stigmatize the children. So when it comes to the kids, when it comes to the staff, uh, we're focusing on the ones that have not been vaccinated. All right, that's a little confusing maybe for some seeing that most kids are not vaccinated. I mean, I know that there's some higher grade levels above 12, but yeah, I so we're, yeah, when we do the when we do the testing, we're doing uh, for the children. We're doing all the children, and so it would be the young ones who are unvaccinated, and it would be some of the ones who have been vaccinated as well, and the older groups who are eligible and have been vaccinated. Does that make sense? Did that that I was clear? Uh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right, so we're going to have two questions from the community. Uh, the first one is going to be, what are the outdoor masking requirements in schools settings for kids and staff? So outdoors at this point, um, we have not made it mandatory for people to wear masks. Individual schools or school districts can change that, uh, but that has not been a requirement because Outdoors, there's a lot more dissipation of the virus and it's a more protected environment in general. Um, what we have recommended certainly is, uh, and this was in the sports recommendations that I, that I wrote up for the schools as advice this week, uh, is that certainly outdoors when people are together in crowds, it's a recommendation that they are masked and uh, that would include in the bleachers, spectators, people on the lines, things like that. And the athletes should be masked as well, unless they're playing. And so those are, those are the rules that I'm aware of. I think that touches on all of them. Thank you. Uh, the next one is going to be, how long do you estimate the elective surgeries will be canceled in this county? Oh, that's a very good question. So, um, that is going to be really up to the hospitals themselves, and it depends on the surge and our capacity to um, uh, to um, hospitalize people and care for people. When they do the elective surgeries, certainly the, there are some elective surgeries that are done that require overnight stays. And while we have such a pressure on beds, those are pretty much canceled. There are some surgeries that are elective that it's come and go in the same day. And depending upon the need for the hospitals, they will um, close the pre-op and post-op area and put patients in there, which some of them are doing already. And then of course they can't do those elective surgeries either. And those nurses and respiratory therapists and ventilators and so on are going into service for other people who require more intense care. So that's for elective surgeries. Now there's some things that are minor surgeries um, that may take, uh, less time, but be much more significant. For example, a biopsy of a possible cancer. Those things are still being done and we want them to continue being done. We don't want to put, you know, potential life-threatening illnesses on the back burner. Um, those deserve to be uh, evaluated fully. Thank you. And we had one more. Uh, is it safe to get a third COVID shot along with your flu shot this fall? 
yes. So if it's a third shot for an indication for immune compromise, then you're, you're eligible for the third shot. And I'm saying that because I'm differentiating from the boosters. Um, and we now know that it's safe to give other vaccines at the same time as the COVID vaccine. Thank you, Dr. Korn. All right, we're gonna take one more round of questions from the media, uh, and that should take us right up to the uh, three o'clock mark. So starting us off will be Alicia Bales with KZUX and Z. All right, thank you. Uh, I am very interested in the county's efforts to reach out to um, to boost our vaccine rates. And I wonder if you could talk about what work you're doing um, above and beyond what got us to, to our current vaccine rates. How are you reaching out to people and getting shots in arms? You know, at this point, the days of the um, mass vaccine clinics, as you know, has tapered down. But with uh, the new COVID Delta surge, uh, there's more of a demand for the vaccines. And if there's more of a demand, we're going to respond. And we have uh, encouraged and, and boy, the clinics are really following through, including the clinics at the hospitals, uh, with giving the vaccines uh, during their, their usual hours. Uh, so that should be an easier place to get vaccines. The pharmacies are also encouraged to give vaccines, and they've become a very important partner in that vaccine effort. Uh, the county is responding uh, for uh, specialized clinics. Uh, for example, we're looking on uh, to working with the um, religious leaders and the uh, faith-based communities, as well as other community-based organizations. Uh, the Hispanic community is, is a very important community that we've tried to outreach to, uh, and we're working uh, to, uh, to get uh, special clinics for agricultural uh, uh, area, uh, employers, but also looking now at uh, zip codes and seeing where it might be advantageous to set pop-up clinics. So those are some of the uh, areas that, that we're actually doing work on, as well as coordinating the efforts and helping the efforts of our partners. Um, and education is a very important thing, uh, probably one of the most important tools in our tool belt. Uh, so we use social media and, um, you know, and uh, your radio station and um, other other media, as well as um, uh, hard copy posters and so on and so forth. Well, and how people uh, and has there been an increase in vaccination rates and how much? Yes. So that was one of the slides that we put up earlier. Let me see. I think that was slide seven. Do you have that handy, uh, Kirk? It's slide seven that we put up. Yeah, stand by one moment. There has been an uptick. It's not a huge uptick, but it's better than it was. It's been increasing slowly, but the uh, but it has accelerated lately. Sorry about this. There you go. Can you see that, Alicia? Yeah, but it's not real clear to me uh, what the increase is. So this, been. so the statewide numbers of vaccines. This is a seven-day average. Okay. Uh, sort of has this bow-shaped uh, leveling off and decreasing uh, from the end of July through mid-August. We have been we hit our nadir, our, our lowest point back in in July. And we've been slowly increasing, and lately it's it's come up, 
and we actually exceed what the state is uh, is showing now, which you can see on the right. Okay, so that's 133 vaccinations average a day. Is that what I'm seeing? I don't understand the numbers. Yeah, that's a seven-day average. Okay, so we're yeah. at the point where we went from 86 a day average to to now 133 a day. So we really need to see more people per day getting vaccinated in the county to avoid going off the cliff in the hospital, it looks like. Absolutely. All right, you thanks. Get it on the head. <laughs> Vaccines is the best protection. Thank you. Next up is gonna be Jackie Orozco with Alpamento Periodico. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, Dr. Cohen, ¿tiene usted algunas palabras de alivio para aquellos padres de familia que estamos preocupados de que nuestros hijos están uh, empezando a regresar a clase y que a lo mejor se puedan infectar de COVID? Um, do you have any words of encouragement for parents who are worried about their children starting school and getting infected with the COVID-19 virus? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing to say over and over again is we've got a lot of layers of protection that are in place this year that were not in place last year, um, even though you know the, the Delta variant makes it look much worse. We also know that the consequences of not having the schools open, of, of children not going to school, including you know educational problems, social and developmental problems, uh, their health, actually, we've seen uh, significant problems uh, to, because of uh, in, in the in the children that didn't go to school last year, and of course economic uh, effects that have that have hurt the families, um, and that happens when there are people not going to school. So where we're at now is we think that yes, there's a risk. It is a congregate uh, you know situation while the kids are in school, and so there's an increased risk. But we also know that um, the, the measures that we put in place uh, should be adequate to keep the numbers of infections down. And although children can get very sick like uh, older people can, it's much more rare. And we think that we can control it. And we're looking at the data uh, as it rolls out. And if we need to make some other changes, we definitely will. Uh, the, school, uh, the school personnel are, are doing their testing and watching how the kids are behaving with the masks. And uh, I really think it's going to be safe and safer than closing the schools, unless we have good reason to close. And if we had good reason to close a class or a school, we would do that. But at this point, uh, it's we don't want to just be afraid and not look at the consequences of closing the schools or keeping our children out of school. We want to put it in perspective. Thank you. Next up is going to be Kate Maxwell, Mendocino Voice. Hi. So I know a few weeks back um, there was discussion about how, you know, asking people nicely to wear their masks and, you know, trying to encourage people overall to act according to the new mandates was the current approach. Um, but I was wondering if there was any consideration of at some point increasing enforcement around any of these new measures, or if there is a metric at which you might 
make a decision to issue new guidance or orders around events or other things like that. It, you know, I know that has not been the case up until now, but if it is under consideration moving forward. That's a good question, Kate. It would never be off the table, but what we've learned is that we don't get a lot of mileage or more cooperation from making it mandatory and causing confrontations and especially confrontations with law enforcement that would ordinarily be able to, you know, would be the people we'd call on to enforce. They are busy with a whole lot of other things. And, uh, and oftentimes when a sheriff or a police officer confronts someone, it uh, puts them more on guard and there's more likely to be uh, not just a, a verbal backlash, but physical backlash. And so what we're, what we're doing now, and I think it's, it's working very well is when we find someone who is, um, you know, a store owner or somebody like that who's making some uh, egregious errors or or not uh, or not complying, uh, we do more education directed to that person. And so at this point, it's we believe people know what was there before, what we did all last year. They're learning again how they can protect themselves, and uh, and we think that it is individual responsibility and responsibility in the community rather than something that needs to be enforced uh, by law enforcement, for example. And we, we don't have, especially with the fires going on and, and a lot of other issues going on in the county, we don't really have the capacity to enforce it very much. So by writing the orders, if it's gonna stimulate more reaction that's negative, uh, we've had uh, other health officers have confronted uh, yelling and screaming and throwing objects and picketing their houses and threatening their families and I'm not just talking about the health officers and being protective of my own life. I'm just saying it doesn't, it, it hasn't worked well. It's had a reverse consequence. So yes, I would not take those, those things off the table, but I would have to be convinced that the current methodologies are not working and won't work and that it is, uh, it is better to take the risks than to just um, uh, use the, the, uh, the tools that we have at hand. Does that answer your question? It's a judgment question. So um, no, I'm not taking it off the table, but there are reasons to not utilize those tools. Yeah, you know, I think it's, a, if I could just clarify one thing, um, you know, I think given that there, there aren't sort of official local government enforcement efforts going on in that way, or, you know, civil fines or something, what would you recommend for, you know, individual residents or employees or even business owners who may, you know, have similar concerns about backlash uh, or, you know, an essential worker at a grocery store who may be the person who needs to be asking nicely and, and may have also, you know, seen that those conversations don't always go well. Uh, do you have recommendations about what people might do as an individual, do they call the call center if they're worried about their workplace? Um, you know, is there any kind of guidance from that perspective, given that people are being asked to kind of enforce these things on their own in certain ways? Yeah, I would say non-confrontational reminders to people who are not doing what's safe would be a friendly, you know, neighborly way to bring people into line with safe behaviors. If they, if that doesn't, I certainly don't want it to wind up to be a, a confrontation, uh, certainly not a physical, but even a verbal confrontation. That doesn't make friends, but it doesn't make change either. So talking with people, educating them, sometimes it just means 
you know, make a little motion, put that up over your nose or something like that works well. Um, and, and that's, you know, if people feel empowered to do that, in, that's fine. In some situations, employees have called in and told us that their supervisor or their employer forbids them from doing that. And I think in those situations uh, or in situations where a lot is happening and there doesn't seem to be any control, yeah, call our call center, but leave very specific information. Some people have called and said, you know, things are happening and I don't like it and I'm not leaving my name and I'm not telling on anybody else. Well, it's not telling on people, but it does help us. And sometimes it's just a call to the owner or the manager and say, you know what, uh, post a sign and let your employers just be nice and remind people. And then it's, it's worked out. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Sure. And the last we'll have Danilla Sands with Mendocino Action News. Hello again. Let me get up to my questions. Sorry. Uh, one question I had, you know, in the very beginning of the pandemic, we saw lots of images of several people on beds hooked up to ventilators. Um, some people didn't even know what a ventilator was until we started seeing these semi-gruesome images. And um, we saw a very high number of fatalities because people didn't know how to treat it, right? And there was a lot of anxiety um, when people would get COVID or fear of getting COVID. Um, we've seen a little bit of that going down, but it's still there. Do you believe that there is, um, I know there's not a cure, but more treatments, I know we have vaccines, but let's say someone isn't vaccinated or is, and they get COVID and they go to the hospital, does there seem to be more knowledge, more awareness around it, you know, a better chance of survival? I mean, what could you say to that if somebody has a lot of anxiety and recently getting COVID? I think that our doctors and, you know, internationally, nationally, statewide, and certainly locally have learned a lot from their experience with this disease. Um, and they're able to, um, to put people on ventilators a little less while they prone them and give high flow oxygen, which is a safer and seems to be a very effective way of pulling people through the, uh, the more difficult times that they have with the COVID inflammation. They do have monoclonal antibodies that can be used. They, they can appropriately use steroids uh, and they, they just are generally better able to manage it than, we, when, than they were when, when it first happened. That doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. And, it, and you know, in, initially it was also many more people who were elderly and more vulnerable who became very sick all of a sudden. Now, unfortunately, we have people staying away and not coming until they're extremely sick, but they're young and they have fewer comorbidities. And it's people who haven't gotten vaccinated, oftentimes people who don't believe it's really a disease. And uh, you know they didn't trust the vaccines, but now they trust the ventilators and doctors and nurses who have to use these uh, very, very vigorous treatments that are very, very, very uncomfortable. And so my advice is, yeah, get vaccinated. This is the time to do it. Are we learning? We're learning, there are, you know, I read the medical journals and there are dozens dozens of articles that represent research that takes months and years to do, dozens of those articles coming out every single day. You know, and I filter through it and read just the most important ones that I can, uh, but there's a lot of research going on and we will learn a lot more about it. But at this point, the safest things to do, the most important things to do is remember to get vaccinated, wear the masks, keep the distance, wash the hands, stay you know, in ventilated areas, maintain your distance. They're simple. 
But you know, we don't always have an immediate high tech answer to these things. And so it's all, it's, it's, it's all, it's in, I was talking about individual responsibility when it came to um, thinking about um, uh, public health officer orders. It's also individual responsibility and taking care of ourselves uh, in, in, in light of being sick or avoiding the illness itself. Thank you for that. My last question, um, is there a common denominator um, for those that are vaccinated that get COVID? Is there something that we are starting to see that's similar or is it just all over the board still? I haven't, I don't know about, I don't know the answer to that, Danila. I'm not seeing associations of who gets it, who doesn't get it. What I can say is that the people who are, um, who are uh, getting the vaccination and then get the illness afterwards are just much less sick. And it doesn't matter whether they got the vaccinations and they were 85 years old or they got it or they, they were 23 years old, or if they got it and they had a number of comorbidities or they didn't. The big difference is get vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you. That sums up today's COVID-19 update. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to give Dr. Korn an opportunity to give his concluding statement. Well, I think we've, we've talked about it a lot. I, I would just say that it is a time when we're all at very high risk of this terrible disease. We wished that it was behind us. Uh, we're trying to do as much as we can from the point of view of research and making available medications and treatments. Um, and, uh, and the most important thing that can be done, we know that now, is vaccination. We want people to get vaccinated and uh, we want them to, to uh, do uh, as much of the non-pharmacologic interventions to prevent the disease as possible. And so it's going to come back to, I feel like I'm repeating it over and over again, but it deserves to be repeated wear the masks indoors or in public places in outdoor crowds. Um, and uh, indoors, make sure you're reasonably ventilating. Outdoors, uh, try and keep your distances. And uh, gatherings, use some good judgment. Uh, try and avoid large gatherings. Keep your 15 feet of distance if you can. Um, avoid eating and drinking. And if you have to take off your mask in a crowd for eating and drinking, you put it right back on. And hand hygiene. And if you're going into an establishment that is not following the indoor masking or they're doing other things which you think are not safe, go away. Tell the owner, the manager or whatever, but if you can't do it, you know, patronize another business that is following uh, the, the uh, advice that's for the good of the health of the community. And otherwise, try and enjoy what we can enjoy this year. Thank you, Dr. Corin. Our next update is scheduled for August 27th. We will be moving to a weekly update, so everyone can look forward to that. Uh, continue follow Mendocino County Public Health on Facebook for all COVID-19 updates, and thank you for joining us, and I hope everyone enjoys their weekend.